This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. That means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We're talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Good evening. I'm Ron Burgundy, and this is what's happening in your world tonight. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. Hey there, money fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and flipping through my crazy calendar day, holy cow, I just see that it's National System Administrator Day. Oh, man, what a big holiday, and I didn't even dress for it. But to celebrate, we did invite to today's show from the Frugal Friends podcast, Jen Smith. Plus, from the Retirement Answer Man podcast, Roger Whitney. And from Afford Anything, Paula Pant. But that's not all. In our Friday FinTech segment, we'll talk to the founder of a new app for couples to better manage money together. From Zeta, please welcome Adidi Shekhar. Plus, as always, we'll answer a listener letter and wash it all down with my amazing trivia. And now, because every system administrator needs an arch enemy, here he is, Joe Saul Sihai. And I think I am the arch enemy of every system administrator. I'm like, why every time I hit control, alt delete, does my computer turn off, Mr. System Administrator, Miss System Administrator? And the system administrator on this podcast in Las Vegas, Nevada, from Afford Anything, it's Paula Pant. One of my favorite lines, speaking of systems administration, is uh, or computer stuff in general, is from The Simpsons, where Homer Simpson is like messing around with his computer, and the screen says, press any key, and he goes, Where's the any key? (laughs) (laughs) And every system administrator, I bet, lives on that joke. Like, that's their holiday party joke of choice. (laughs) Every time my computer tells me to press any key, that is the first thing I think of now. Once you once you see it and once you once you get that joke inside your head, it never goes away. It's insidious. (laughs) Yes. Speaking of insidious, the guy who is back again for, I think, his 34th appearance from the Retirement Answer Man podcast, Roger Whitney's here. Thanks for sticking that in my head, Paula. Now it's <laughs> that's right. And now Roger, now now Roger has another good dad joke. What's happening, man? How are you? What's going on at Retirement Answer Man? We are just enjoying YouTube. 
We've been playing around with YouTube for a while. I know. You got these awesome videos. Great series going. You wear a bunch of other podcasters swag. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I had yours. Yours was the first. You're, you've been my first, Joe. Oh, thanks, baby. I thought uh, <laughs> just to clear away from that as quickly as possible. You were wearing Whitney Hansen slag the other day. Yeah, Money Nerd. How could you not wear a Money Nerd shirt? Yeah, right? you had to. Bright red yeah, shirt. I'm like, good oh, swag. You've worn one of my shirts. Oh, hey, I'll buy one. I'll buy one. Hey, awesome. you know what swag stands for, by the way? No, what does it stand for? Stuff we all get. Oh. Is that true? Is that actually what it means? As far as you know, it is. Yeah. <laughs> no extra fee for that, by the way. We don't charge extra for that awesome stuff. And that voice that you just heard on My Dad Shortwave from, I believe, St. Petersburg, Florida, and the Frugal Friends podcast, it's our new BFF, Jen Smith. Hey, I am uh, loving staying elusive, but also loving being introduced. I am so happy you're here to save the show, Jen. It's about time. I'm really excited to be in the basement. It's a lot darker than I thought. We don't have basements here in Florida, so I wasn't sure what to expect. You know, uh, Paula loves, because we're on, by the way, the only shortwave in history that has a video. Paula likes the blue walls in the basement. She thinks that they're classy. Classy with a K, right, Paula? Classy with a K, for sure. <laughs> right. Uh, Jen, tell the three people that don't know about your awesome podcast, about the Frugal Friends podcast. What do you guys do there? We are just frugal friends hanging out and sharing ways to save money and spend less. My co-host Jill and I are two frugal people. She's naturally frugal and I learned to be. And uh, so we're just trying to make saving money less alienating. I like your sponsors too. You've got your, your, your sponsor on your latest episode as we're recording this was say no. Right. Saying no. When you think you want to buy something on credit and you can't afford it, try saying no. The tagline is you won't like it at first. So they really need to work on their branding, but it's yeah. a, it's a lucrative sponsorship. It's great. You know, a brand that doesn't need to work on their branding, Jen. I don't know. Magnify money. Because if magnify money, you're going to say, that was awful. You're going to say $450 <laughs> if you're the average person that goes to magnify money, whether it's to finally get your credit card debt under control, or if your debt's already under control to play the credit card reward game, or if you need those student loans refinance, or maybe a better checking account or savings account, stackybedjamins.com forward slash magnify money. And as if that weren't enough, we're brought to you by RX Bar, my favorite bars to take with me when I go on a hike or before a run. So thanks again to RX Bars. Wait, you got RX Bars as a sponsor? I eat those all the time. The blueberry ones are my favorite. I bring those on airplane trips. That, that, I bring them on airport trips too. And I like the chocolate sea salt. Oh, I, I haven't tried that one yet. Some of these, Joe. What's that, Roger? Swag. I think we need some of these. So some RX Bars? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. rxbar.com forward slash SB and you'll get our discount. Uh, don't Dude, tell, don't tell, tell, tell them I want them to sponsor my show. <laughs> well, but, but you, I was just on your show and you've got C-Note as a sponsor who we love too. So it's like fantastic. It's the war of the sponsors. That's right. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, let's not talk about sponsors. We've got money skills and your, and uh, money relationships to talk about. So let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking Benjamin's headlines. All right, our headline today comes to us from thisisinsider.com. Insider, this is written by Katie Warren. 10 signs you have an unhealthy relationship with money. 
Even if you have a high salary, this piece begins, or seem financially successful, it's still possible you don't have the healthiest relationship with money. Quote, many people seem financially successful on the outside because people identify nice material things with success. Eric Roberge, a financial planner and founder of Beyond Your Hammock, and a guy who's been on the show, by the way, told Insider, quote, the person driving the Mercedes or the Audi is immediately seen as being successful yet they could be up to their eyeballs in debt behind the scenes. Others can actually be financially successful, yet they still use money in an unhealthy way. They may indulge in things to feed a deep-seated problem, yet they make enough money that their financial situation is not impacted. Uh, Jen, in your life, have you ever had an unhealthy relationship with money? I have. I grew up uh, with that scarcity mindset, like worrying about not having enough. So my mantra now is frugal, not cheap. Uh, cause that just translated to me being cheap. Like it didn't save me money. It didn't make me smarter with money. It just made me cheap. That's funny. I have family members that will buy stuff if it's cheap and it never lasts. They have a bunch of junk and I continually wish they would buy less stuff and stuff that's kind of quality. Uh, Paula, yeah. Paula, you've never had, <laughs> you have, ne there is no way you've ever had an unhealthy relationship with money. Oh, I absolutely not only have had it, but I think I still do have it. I have the same problem of a scarcity mindset, the fear that there will never be enough. I have had many years in which it's, it was painful to part with money. And that's something that I had to actively unlearn. And like all people, I make a lot of emotional and irrational money-related decisions, largely stemming from anxieties and fears. We're going we're gonna to walk through some of these in a second. But Roger, as the financial planner in the group, how often do you see that it's somebody's unhealthy mindset that's the issue that they have with their cash? What's interesting is, I'll take a little bit opposite view, I end up dealing with people that have an unhealthy relationship with money in that they're so frugal that they miss a lot of their life and they end up dying with too much, Oh, which is sad. <laughs> I mean, be, and, and, and so it, it's the other edge of the sword that we normally think of is, and we're going to go through some of these, that they could have a bigger impact on the world or the people around them and still be okay later on, but they just can't get themselves to do it. I have a question about those people that are so frugal, they don't spend money. And that's, do they need a beneficiary? Yeah. I'll be their beneficiary. I know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I will step up. I will play that role. Uh, the first one on here is you constantly worry about not having enough money. And I'm curious, Paula, where do you think that comes from? Because you said you worry about not having enough. Well, I think it fundamentally stems from a lack of self-esteem. Because if you don't believe in your own ability to go out and make more or create more, then you constantly worry that there's not going to be enough because you see the basket of money in front of you as being in limited supply. And when it's over, it's over. And you doubt your own ability to overcome that problem. You doubt your own ability to be able to solve that. Jen, this is your worry also, isn't it? You worry about not having enough money? Yeah. Even though we both have an income, uh, my husband and I, and we don't have a lot of expenses, I still worry about having enough just from not having a lot growing up. Okay. But didn't you, did you say at one point to me at some point that you were a spender personality? Yes. I definitely like to spend more than my husband, but I have learned to be more conscious of my spending to spend on things that will last, even if they might be a little more expensive, 
And uh, we're still working on him. (laughs) But I still wonder about the marriage between those two, not the marriage between you and your husband, the marriage between (laughs) not having enough money and spend her personality. Like how did, how does that work? Well, I think I was just looking for things that were cheap. So I had a hard time spending money on things that were good. Um, so I was just spending money on things that were cheap, but I wasn't necessarily saving any money because I would buy more of something like when it breaks or, uh, I would go like get coffee, uh, you know, two times a day. So it wasn't necessarily that I was, you know, maybe I would buy the cheaper coffee, but I was still like buying coffee. It didn't matter that I was buying the less expensive one. Roger, we talk about Jen, we talked about Paula, but with you, we talked about your clients. Do you worry about not having enough money? Me personally? Yes. I guess I do, but I am so optimistic. I have the spender problem. Ah. I am so optimistic. And, and being an entrepreneur, I justify a lot of spending because I can have an ROI on it. If I buy that amazing camera and I create videos with it, it's actually going to make me money. And it, it's sort of rationalization. Yeah. But, but so our second one on this list is spending money. You feel guilty when you spend money. You don't feel any guilt when you spend money then. No. <laughs> I do. <laughs> do, I, well, there are, at times I do for sure. I mean, we all do at times, but, uh, generally not. But do you find Jen that you feel guilty because you worry there's not enough. So anytime you spend money, you feel like it's flying out the door too fast. I do. When I will, uh, spend money on a vacation, like I know that it's good for me. It's good for my soul. By the time I get there, I don't feel guilty about it, but like, I definitely have buyer's remorse on a lot of things. I felt the opposite way, Paula, actually, when I first started to take vacations, I did them on credit because I had no money and I felt Mm -hmm. guilty the entire time. Now, like Jen said, I don't feel any guilt. Do you feel guilty when you spend money? No, I don't. I think I used to, but I don't anymore. Um, But I also, if I'm going to spend money, I'm typically thinking about it in advance, particularly if it's a large sum. So by the time I get to that point, I've made peace with the decision. That sounds like it's the same for you, Jen. Yeah, it's usually the bigger purchases that I will have that hesitation. Pretty much any time I'm trying to make an order on Amazon, things sit in my cart for weeks. (laughs) That is so me. That is so, so, so me. Roger, the next one on this list is, or you spend money carelessly. It sounds like sometimes that one might be you because you're so optimistic. You're like, hey, I'll get more tomorrow. Yeah, it is. And, you know, as an example of me buying Paula's shirt, which was totally justified, I can get into a habit where I get so excited about an idea or a concept or something I heard, I can buy it like that, right? I remember uh, driving home, or no, I was in a business meeting and I got this last email about this amazing course. It was only $2,800. While I'm doing business in the business meeting, I purchased it on my laptop and didn't miss a beat. In fact, I got that same day, I got home from the airport. I'm driving home and I literally pulled over to the side and emailed and canceled it because I was like, what the heck was I doing? Because it was so easy to pull the trigger so quickly. So I do have an issue with that. Right now I'm tracking my daily spending just to be very intentional about it. Actually. I found that with uh, some of my clients, I want to shift from you personally to your clients with some of my clients that had great cash flow, like they would just spend money like nobody's business. But part of it was also time was money. And I talked to a couple of my clients about this. They're like, listen, I could analyze this all day and it cost me more money than just pulling the trigger quickly on this and going and making more. Because if I, the time I waste analyzing this, 
like Jen and I talking about our Amazon carts, right? <laughs> the time I waste doing that is money I could have been out earning, you know, $5,000 more. For some people, that's definitely true, isn't it? I think the key is you got to have a process so you have some clarity that you know where the boundaries are. It's when, you know, those type of people generally have some some basics done before they get to that point. But it's easy to fool ourselves on, you know, our time is worth so much. Do, for sure. Do any of you have a lot of credit card debt? Because that's the next one. Anybody? Nope. Anybody mm-hmm. Anybody ever have a lot of credit card debt? I used to. Anyone I used else? To. No. I one time had uh, about $2,000 of credit card debt and somebody ran into my car and I got a $2,000 settlement. So I just paid off the debt. Wow. I like it. Well, yeah. Left the, left the debt in the car. What everybody didn't see that Jen said was somebody ran into my car. If you know what I mean? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's great. Jen insurance fraud for the win. That's fantastic. (laughs) Everybody takes that. No, she didn't do that at all. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, but, ha- <laughs> but having a lot of credit card debt, I think they're right on here. Roger, I think we'll stick with you since you see this probably more than anybody on this round table. It isn't about getting rid of the credit card debt. You got to get to the root of the problem. Oh, yeah. Because what will happen is you'll see people that have lots of credit card debt and then they'll have a fit of frugality and want to deal with it. And so they'll make really bad decisions. They'll take money out of their retirement account or take a loan against their 401k or do a consolidation, but then they end up running it right back up. So if you don't fix the core spending problem, it's not a good idea. That was always the first thing when I was a financial planner, we had to fix. Like we always had to fix the spending problem first because otherwise I re- So one story, there was a client of a friend of mine who he helped him refinance his debt all to a very low interest rate. They were going to take the difference, the amount of money that the people had saved and stick it into an emergency fund and do it automatically. Right. So it was hidden from them. So as far as they were concerned, they had the same cash flow as before, but now they're building a foundation. The dude got done refinancing all the debt, realized he had this massive cash flow. And my buddy goes, okay, so uh, let's start this automatic savings. The guy's like, yeah, I don't have any money. He's like, what are you talking about? He goes, well, I took the money that I saved monthly and I bought a boat because now I can afford this boat payment. Uh, That's painful. He's like, man, you got a problem. I mean, seriously, just a problem. Oh, I got cash flow. But Jen, to that point, I mean, when you walk into a store, they always talk to you or you walk into a car dealer, they always talk to you about monthly payment, right? Yeah. A lot of people have the mindset about what payments I can afford, but it's a long-term game. Like if you are thinking long-term, you think about what you're spending in a whole and then you you don't put things on payments. Which, yeah, Paula. Can I jump in here? Nope. This one time, (laughs) this one time, so speaking of the monthly payment mindset, I was in a parking lot and some some woman had some very nice car. I don't even remember what it was, but I complimented her on it. I was like, oh, that's a great car. And we started talking and she said, yeah, I was considering between this car or this other car, but this car was $70 cheaper. And in my mind, I was like, because I think of cars in terms of the entire price, right? I think of paying cash for a car. And so it completely confused me. I was like, why would you choose one car over another because it's $70? And so I asked her something to that effect. And then she clarified that she meant $70 per month. But it didn't even occur to me that that's what she meant. Oh, I that's... just don't think in terms of monthly payments. But the good news, guys... 
the car she gave up that she didn't go was a five-year loan. And this one was an eight-year loan, which made it $70 cheaper. <laughs> a month. And she got better rims. I mean, it was, it was a win-win-win. the rims. Yes. Yeah. It was fantastic. Next on this list is you feel like you have to spend money to enjoy yourself. Roger, we'll start with you. You feel like you got to spend money to enjoy yourself? I think the natural current of our society makes you think that. So it's easy to get, for lack of a better word, brainwashed that materialism or spending money will satisfy some need. Because what's an ad supposed to do, right? An ad is supposed to say, your life isn't perfect, but it will be if you get this. Sure, right. So it's a natural thing. Yeah, I mean, that's what we all are fighting, even the best of us. We do that with our podcast, don't we, guys? Your life would be perfect if you just listened to our show. I mean, there it is. <laughs> just start <laughs> that's listening. That's what they told me. <laughs> that's, that's exactly it. I listen yeah. to your show to make me feel better about myself. <laughs> <laughs> Like being way better of it. Yeah, if Joe can do it, anybody can do it. Uh, Jen, how about you? I blame Parks and Rec for this. Like, it's that treat yourself mentality. Some people equate it to like going to get like a manicure and a pedicure, but I love just being able to sit outside. Literally, just having the time set aside to not do anything is enough to enjoy myself. Paul, are there places where you spend more money because it does make you feel better and other places where you're like, I don't really care? I would say when I go to restaurants, I order whatever I want on the menu. I used to scan the menu and like get the pasta because it was the cheapest thing. These days, I don't do that anymore. If I'm going to go out to eat, I'm going to get what I want so, um, so, and I'm going to order a drink with it. Well, so yeah, yeah, in those regards, I will spend more money. I am totally with you. But you know what I found? I prefer quirky, more hole-in-the-wall kind of fun restaurants versus the upscale place. So I'll go to the quirky place where the menu items cost less, and I don't, like you, I don't pay attention to what, you know, I, I eat what I want. I actually, I find the opposite. I really like, I like upscale places and or I'll qualify that with, I like places that have a caliber of food that I would never be able to replicate at home. Oh. If something has the type of food that I'm like, yeah, I could make this, then I don't want to pay to go out to eat. I would rather just make that at home. But if something has food that it took somebody 10 years to master the skill of being able to make that, I will pay a lot of money for that. Roger would too, because I mean, dirty microwave macaroni and cheese, he can get it at just about any restaurant. <laughs> never replicate that. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm feeling. I could, I can barely replicate mac and cheese. So I, I like a restaurant and maybe I'll take that back a little bit, Paula, to your point. It, for me, it's not about the food as much as it's about, I like places with great ambiance and I generally prefer places where I have a great conversation with the people I'm with. And I'll go back mm -hmm. to those places again and again, where a place that has great food, but I don't feel as comfortable, which I've been in a few of those restaurants. I will go once and go, yeah, that was great, but I'm never going back. Uh, we had a great conversation over a meal once. It was 8 a.m. and I was I had just gone to bed about two hours prior. <laughs> the difference is I remember the conversation and you don't. <laughs> I don't remember it at all. I just remember chugging orange juices that whole breakfast. But that, but that, <laughs> was, that was all I did. That's the best kind of conversation you can have with Joe is the, the kind you don't remember. Yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> when Joe says something memorable once every fourth time on the show. But Paula, seriously, back to that place, though. I love that restaurant. It's just kind of quirky. It's kind of, I don't know, loud, chaotic, kind of fun. Remember that? Do you at least remember that? I, I do remember it was actually I don't remember much about that. No, I remember I had just gone to bed two hours prior and then you called me and you were like, hey, we still on for breakfast. And I'm like, ah, oh, crap. 
And so then I dragged myself there, and no, I don't remember anything about that. <laughs> I'm I'm so deflated. Just I'm never gonna yeah. recover. Yeah. Joe had a really good time. It was like my best time at that whole conference, and Paula doesn't even remember it. <laughs> but that's okay. I'll try not to let it affect everything. Next is you constantly overspend and make excuses for why it's not your fault. Ser- serious. I I know you guys well enough. This isn't you, but we all know this person, don't we? Many of them. Yeah. I had to spend more money. I just had to. I had this thing that came up. I had to do this deal. I actually have a family members that are like this. They always have to go to the place. It's like the most expensive. Speaking of restaurant, they always have to go to the most expensive restaurant and sit in the bar. And I'm like, why don't we pick up a few brews and head back to your house? No, no, no. We got to go to the expensive place and sit at the bar. So we can't talk and we spend a bunch of money. You refuse to talk about money. This is, Roger, where do you think this comes from? We refuse to talk about money because this is probably, right, 90% of civilization. I think most, it's really a boring subject for most people. It's either, you know, you can say the negative. They're just literally putting their hands over their ears. But I think a lot of people, they just want to live and it's the details. And unless there's some major crisis, it's just not something they ever want to address. I'm going to skip the next one. You talk negatively about money, but Jenna, I want to ask you about this one. You can't turn down social invitations when you can't afford it. How do you get over that? When somebody invites you to something and you're like, you know what? This is over my head. Everybody's been there. What do you do? Uh, that is the hardest part. I will still go, even if I just sit there and I'll order water or an appetizer. I don't want to miss out on spending time with my friends. Yeah. Paula, how do you get around it? Ooh, I have the opposite problem where when I can afford it, I still, if the price is higher than what I had anticipated, I'm reluctant to do so. And so this actually just came up the other week where I was going to fly to Montana to visit my friend Kim, who was a recent guest on my podcast. And I figured airline tickets would be maybe 200 bucks, right? And that's all I'm going to have to spend because once I fly there, I might need to get an Uber from the airport, but I can crash with her. We're going to go camping. We'll go camping for a weekend. Then I fly home. I figured the airline tickets would be about 200 bucks. I went and checked tickets. They're 400. And just that $200 difference, I texted Kim and I was like, oh, it's flights are more expensive than I thought they would be. I don't think I can make it. And then I thought about it for the next 24 hours. And I'm like, wow, what am I going to regret on my deathbed more? So then I bought a ticket. That's what I was going to ask. So your friendship with Kim is worth 200 bucks. Exactly. <laughs> right. And, you know, Paula went to breakfast with me because I bought. That's why. <laughs> Oh, it's because I promised you I would be there, and I, I don't like to cancel plans. I don't like to break promises. If you would have so told I... me that you were up all night, I would have never. I would have never done. You, you told me we were sitting at breakfast. I'm like, how are you? You're like, yeah, I just went to bed. I'm like, what the, <laughs> what, what the hell are you doing here? I don't know. Let's get some. Can I have an orange juice and another one and another one and another one? Yes. And and please an IV. Please, please, please. Next one on this on this list. You view money as anything other than a tool. Oh, Roger, the pursuit of money just so that you're hashtag winning. Yeah, well, we're sort of wired into a lot of DNA, especially when you're younger, because it's you perceive it as power, right? You perceive it as success, and it can lead you down a lot of really bad paths that can destroy family and other things, right? You got to put money in its proper place. Let's uh, try to wrap this up with some big takeaway about your relationship with money. Paula, what's a healthy relationship with money look like to you? I'd say a healthy relationship with money is one that is neither anxious nor avoidant nor worships money. Roger? 
Well, I think you know, all these rules, you feel guilty about spending. That's a negative connotation of being worried about spending too much, right? You can just take it too far. You spend carelessly. That's just the other extreme. And I think all of these rules, really, it's about moderation, which most things are. And you want to have all these feelings, but you want to keep them in check. So you're going down the middle line. Jen, you're the first time guest, so you get the last word. Mm. I think a healthy relationship with money is when you can spend on the things that you value, you know what those are, and you will spend, whether it's a lot or a little, whatever, and then say no to the things that you don't value. I'm always excited when we can talk to a fintech founder. We do our fintech Friday segment every single Friday, and today's no exception. Coming down to the basement today, if you are someone who either has a significant other, you're engaged, maybe you're married, Aditi Shaker has something that you're going to be interested in. It's called Zeta, and it's specifically budget and money tracking for couples. So let's say hello to our friend, Aditi Shaker. And walking down the steps, Aditi Shaker, how are you? I am so good today. Thank you. Well, I'm glad you could join us and talk about Zeta. So tell me, how did Zeta begin? Was it an issue you were having in your own life? Was it an opportunity you were taking advantage of? What was it? Yeah, so Zeta's founding story is actually a really personal one to me. My boyfriend and I, more than 10 years ago, moved in together to our first apartment in New York City. We suddenly had these shared expenses that we had to figure out. And at the same time, as you can imagine, two very different people coming together, we had two very different incomes. Yeah. I was working in startups. He was at, doing his PhD. We had very different spending habits. And we really didn't feel like we could talk to our friends about how they were handling their money together. So the two of us sort of had this conversation where we felt our way in the dark into a model that is now described as yours, mine and ours, where we decided early on that, you know, we weren't going to merge our finances fully, but we were going to keep some pools together and some pools separately. Why'd you make that decision, by the way? For us, we wanted to maintain a sense of independence and not feel like we were sort of on top of each other saying like, hey, I don't think we should spend money on that. Or I don't think uh, a J. Crew sweater is necessarily the top priority in my budget. So it allowed us to have that flexibility while still meaning autonomy and still having a sense of shared purpose and shared goals. And truly, it's worked so well for us. And that model is something that, I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of and I love to recommend to other folks who are, who are interested in pursuing it. It's interesting that you say that because our mutual friend Farnoosh is the same way, I believe, when yeah. she and I talked about this and Cheryl and I are the same way in our yeah. relationship. But yet I hear a lot of people say, you know, one family, one bank account. And I guess- yeah. I guess what Zeta does, though, is makes it so it doesn't matter, I suppose. Exactly. Like our, our thesis is, hey, that's your decision. It's a personal decision and it's one that you get to make for yourselves because you guys know each other best. Couples typically do it about a third, a third, a third. A third of the time they put everything together, sort of the traditional model of merging finances that we think about. A third of the time they do what Dahmer and I do, which is this some shared, some split. And a third of the time, interestingly, they actually keep things totally separate. Oh. And young couples are totally redefining how relationship finances work. They're just not doing what their parents did 50 years ago. 
we decided that we were going to build a platform for couples and that we were going to be flexible and, and frankly, not judgmental on how people decided to do things. It's funny because really what Zeta does, it sounds like it's to spur conversations. Exactly right. I mean, our our mission, our vision is that can we make managing money together almost fun for these couples? Can we make it one that drives communication and helps them be on the same page? Because, you know, all the stats and I know numbers are, are a messy thing, but all the stats point to good communication, talking about money often, being able to have that conversation in a productive way leads to happier relationships, happier marriages and frankly, happier future generations. All right, Aditi, let's uh, dig in. I go to ZetaHelp.com and mm -hmm. uh, what happens then? Walk me through it. Yeah, for sure. So what would happen is couples come onto the platform and they go ahead and they link their accounts to Zeta. That's the first thing that they'll do. And what I like to do, what I like to talk about is we don't actually need both folks to sign up together. This is a common question I get. You can be just one person in a relationship saying, I'm going to get started. I'm going to take a head start on, on figuring our money out. So you go on, you come onto the platform and you start linking your accounts. Once you link your accounts, whether you're linking just your personal accounts or your shared accounts, we actually start surfacing a budget for you. And the reason we do this is even if you're not one of those people that loves to look at your budget in detail every single month, just having a sense of what's that high level number that I should keep at the back of my mind? What's that number that's helping me achieve my goals? That's really important so that we we serve up that budget so that people can immediately get a sense of what that number for them should be. What do you mean by that? Do you mean you're grouping expenses together so I can see kind of a pie chart of types of expenses? Or what do you mean by that when you say you start to create a budget? Yeah, we give you a high level number like, hey, Joe, roughly, you you know, you spend about $3,000 a month or $2,000 a month. Okay. And then we break that number down further. And we say, you know, here are your expenses. Here's your income. Here's how you should be thinking about setting up a budget that balances itself. You know this, Joe, but, you know, one of the things that people even struggle with is knowing how much money they spend. Many, many, many couples I talked to said, honestly, I have no idea what my bottom line is. So if you can just help me figure that out, that would be amazing. It's amazing. And so we said, yeah, yeah no, to, to, to your point, when I was a financial planner, that was the biggest thing. I'd have people write down their expenses for a couple of weeks. They were never surprised by how little they spent. <laughs> they, they were always surprised because it was the little things that come up like gifts, you know, or um, yeah. uh, gifts were a big one or the yeah. unexpected uh, unexpected Friday happy guilt. hour that all of a sudden they organized that day because they'd had a bad week at the office. And so everybody went out together. It was these things or the, you know, the car breaks down the side of the road. It's always these weird things that kind of threw them yeah. off the budget. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when you're a couple, it gets even more complicated because right. you've got, especially if you've got some personal and some shared spending or two people are spending, it's hard to know what's going on. I like the spending breakdown. I'm looking at the main page at ZetaHelp.com and it shows a $2,000 budget and it shows 80% of that budget spent. You spent $1,600. It shows there's just less than $400 left and there's four days left. So now I got four days to figure out the last 398. So it does a nice job of making it very simple. Exactly. And we're starting to make it even more interactive so that you don't have to wait till the end of the month or the end of the week to come in and check on th how things went. You know, that's what a lot of people do. They sit down at the end of the month and they say, how'd we do? But we want to make finances more proactive. 
So we send you a message and say, hey, Joe, you're getting close to that 80 percent and you've still got 15 days to go. You know, you might want to slow it down a little bit. Or one of our couples asked, she said, when I walk into the grocery store, I want to know what's left of my grocery budget. So we're trying to make things just a lot more accessible and easy for folks to access rather than feeling like, oh, my God, I have to dig into my mint and, and try to dig through all the numbers to figure these answers out. That's really cool. So how how does it help a couple then? If I'm only putting my numbers yeah. in, what's the couple aspect of Zeta? Yeah. So when you're putting your information in, you can always determine whether you want to keep things private or shared. That was something that really came up for our couples in the early parts of our research where they just wanted to be able to control like, hey, I'm ready to show the full kimono to my significant other or I'd rather keep some of it back. And, and you know, we're just living together after all. I don't need to give them my entire financial history. So we allow for a certain level of um, or, or we allow for 100 uh, percent of control over how much you share. And then you can actually invite your partner in once you've set yourself up and get them to plug in and use the platform. There are some couples who, you know, you have one CFO in the relationship who handles it all and they just want to keep the other person updated. And there are other couples who really manage their finances sort of as co-pilots and, and they want to be able to talk constantly. There are couples who want to split certain expenses or just even say, hey, what is your obsession with J. Crew? Like, tell me what it is. Your, can you tell that I have a J. Crew conversation <laughs> with my husband often? Um, but, but, you know, it, it even I gives can't you believe, a I can't believe you're throwing him under the bus and he's not here. <laughs> It's just horrible. He's incredible. He's he's so forgiving about these things. Um, no, but, you know, it, it allows us to ask questions. Like, for example, last month I asked my husband a question about our utility bill. And I was like, hey, this bill is just going up and up and up. What's going on? And so it just allows you to get to the bottom of your information and communicate about that stuff in context rather than trying to make a mental note to talk about it at some point, which usually be ends up being at 1030 p.m. at night when everyone's too tired. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Nobody wants to have the long conversation. So it's a, uh, we'll talk about it tomorrow and then we never do. Exactly. So let me make sure I get this straight then, because I think I got it. So this number I'm looking at a $2,000 budget, 80% really depends on how I set it up. That's just either my part or that's our part, or yep. it's, it's, it might be a little bit of both. Yep, exactly. And cool. and we you can break every you can segment the entire platform by your personal or your shared. And like I said, some couples only use the personal tab, some only use the shared tab, and some use both tabs. And and that's completely up to them. And then the next sort of step of this is every single week and every single month, we sort of help you and encourage you to have what we call the monthly money date. So you sit down together and we give you all the information you need, your income, your expenses, your net worth, your goals, so that you can sit down and have a holistic financial conversation. Cheryl and I do that on Sunday mornings, actually. We have, our, we have our money date. To make it that flexible, I mean, not to sound like a fanboy, but just the engineering under the hood, getting this thing to do all three of those mine, yours, ours versus just mine, just yours. This thing to set up must have been really quite a complex thing. I don't know what to call it. Joe, thank you for saying that. Absolutely correct. It was a complicated mess. And, you know, it took us quite some time to sort of piece out and pull out the threads that we wanted to build around. And that's why this use case, I mean, I often get asked by folks, why are the folks, the, the tools that already exist not doing this? And the true reason is the couple's use case, as we like to talk about it in product, is a really complicated one. And it's not as simple as just doubling everything up. 
And so we felt that there there really needed to be a platform that was dedicated and designed for couples, designed for two people. As, as we like to say, it's the difference between a single player game and a multiplayer game. Yeah. It's just a yeah. fundamentally different experience. And, and that's really what we're optimizing for. And that's really what we're designing for. And something you emphasize at the bottom of the page, a lot of the fintech wasn't out when I was a financial planner that is out now. I love this idea of people getting engaged and kind of playtesting their finances using a tool like Zeta. Yeah. Yeah. And we find that a lot of the couples on the platform already are, are frankly, just living together. And they're starting this this idea of shared expenses and trying to get a handle on what are we spending together, you know, even though we pay for each of these things independently. Yeah. And I can think of, you know, where's the redundancy, the overlap? What can we cut? You know, if we're just starting to merge. Fantastic. Is this web based or is it an app? We started out by making this web-based first. We yeah. will expand into mobile. But what we discovered in our user research was that couples most often sat down and thought about their finances sitting in front of their laptops together in the evening at home. Gotcha. And so we decided, and they actually told us, it's super annoying that I have to pull up my phone and be trying to work through our, our numbers on these tiny screens. So we actually decided to start with a web tool. But we offer a mobile sort of friendly tool because you can access a lot of this information via text. That's a, well, and I was going to say, it's so clean. I can imagine pulling this up on my phone. It's still really easy to read. Yeah, it's optimized for mobile through and through. And, you know, what we're finding is that most folks will use this to take a look at their account balances or to check in on recent transactions that they've had. And so we make those features really available, easily available to them via text. So they get a number from us and they can text us anytime and say, hey, give me a quick update on my most recent transactions or give me a quick update on my account balances or even my budget. And we'll send that stuff over to them easily. Oh, oh that's cool. We just had somebody in our basement Facebook group looking for that because Penny just went bye bye. Yeah. And, yeah. And was wondering about text based because he loves that feature yeah. and you don't see it that often, which is wild because I think that's so helpful. Uh, how do you guys make money? It's a great question. So we actually decided that, you know, we do not ever want to sell ads to folks to make money. So we are not going the route of the mint.coms of the world. Instead, our sort of long term vision is actually to build a financial institution for couples, for families. And we believe that we can build products and services like bank accounts, credit cards, uh, debit cards that folks can access and we'll make money through those products. And none yet, but those are coming. Absolutely. Those are in our sort of long term plan. Right now, we're just focused on making this as useful as a tool as possible for our couples. And we take that so seriously. We spent the last six months working with 250 couples to make sure we'd understood all the quirks and the knit and gritty of all of these things so that we weren't putting out something that was half-baked. Yeah. And to be clear, we're talking to you on the front end of this. People that go to Zeta Help right now, it's, it's an early access program. Yep, that's right. And and it's kind of exciting because all of your listeners are going to get basically first access. I get to be first at something. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's not the trying to make dreams come true here, that's Joe. Right. That's not the Joe way, by the way. But that's fantastic. <laughs> Usually I'm the last to know. The whole team will tell you that I'm the last to know about anything. So this is pretty cool. Yeah. And then people worry about security. Obviously, there's a bunch of information that you yeah. have access to. How do you keep things secure? We do exactly. First of all, we take it very seriously. Security is no joke, especially for our generation who's dealing with all sorts of dynamics around data privacy right now. 
And we do exactly the same thing your banks do. We take the same level of precautions. And one of the most important things is when you connect your accounts to us, we actually cannot touch that money. We can't go in and and move things around or do anything like that. We simply can look at your transactions because that's the authority you give us. And so we're incredibly secure and we're, you know, at the same levels, like I mentioned, of what your bank does. The site is ZetaHelp.com for more. And as Edity said, early access if you go there now. And man, I, I wish you were busy over there. <laughs> well, I can't wait to talk to all of your users and, and work with them and, and figure out their finances. And, you know, one of the things that I didn't mention in there, but it's worth talking about now, Joe, is we do offer free one-on-one advising for anyone who's on the platform. That's awesome, too. How does that work? Yeah. I spent five years basically teaching personal finance to millennials. So it's sort of like money coaching. We we help folks figure out how to build a budget if that's what they're trying to work through. Sometimes I get calls about help me figure out how to split our expenses the right way. It's, it's really just meant to be a helpline for couples because when my husband and I were going through it, the only person on the internet who was talking about this stuff was Oprah. And Oprah doesn't exactly answer my phone calls yet. So I figured we'd give them a number to call and be able to set up some time and work through any specific issues that folks are trying to navigate. I'm sure you and Oprah are going to be BFFs by the time this is over. From your lips to God's ears, Joe. That's damn right. Oprah, I hope you heard that. Hey there, money nerds. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Duggan. Welcome to my incredible trivia. And on this amazing national holiday called System Administrators Day, I'd like to lead us all in a salute to system administrators everywhere by giving them the day off from showing you how to consume this whole podcasting thing correctly. Having issues with your phone and the podcast playback? Try turning the podcast off and booting it back up again. Still having problems? Make sure your internet box has the glowing lights on. Still not working? Submit a work ticket. I'll try to get one of those trained ferrets down here in the basement to work on it sometime between, let's say, like 9 and noon next Tuesday. But in the meantime, let's bring this celebration to a crescendo with some computer-related trivia. Here's your question. Who was Bill Gates' roommate in college? Well, today's a big travel day for me, headed back to the basement to record some more Stacking Benjamin's goodness over the next month. And when I'm traveling, I throw a RX bar into my backpack because RX bar is a protein bar made with 100% whole ingredients and no BS, no bad stuff like added sugars, artificial colors, artificial flavors, preservatives, or fillers made with 100% whole ingredients that are simple and clean ingredients where everything serves a purpose, like egg whites for the protein, dates bind it all together, nuts for the texture, and other delicious ingredients like unsweetened chocolate, real fruit and spices like sea salt or cinnamon. It's so funny when I talk to people about RX bars and they've never tried them before, and then I talk to them a couple weeks later after they've given it a shot, we always find new fans because RX bars are gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, and with no added sugars, artificial colors, flavors, preservatives, or fillers, as I mentioned, they're a great addition to your on-the-go diet. RX bars come in 14 delicious flavor varieties, so whether you like sweet and savory, chocolate, or fruit flavors, there's an RX bar for you. And they use real food ingredients that actually taste good. You can taste 
the cocoa, the real fruit, the spices like sea salt. So it's ideal for breakfast on the go, snacks at the office to push you through your 3 p.m. slump, or throwing in the bag for the plane like I did yesterday, toss it in your backpack for a bike ride or a hike, or for me, now that I'm trying to run a fast, well, for me fast, 5K. I might not be as fast as you, but it's fast for me, a pre- or post-workout snack. RX bars are the place to go. And if you've never tried an RX bar, because you're a member of the Stacking Benjamins family, they're going to make it worth your while to check it out. You'll get 25% off your first order at rxbar.com forward slash SB and use the promo code SB at checkout. That's rxbar.com slash SB, promo code SB. Stacking Benjamins is also brought to you by Magnify Money. Let's uh, take a look. I'm going to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money. You can hear me beating on the keyboard here. I'm going to look at savings accounts like we do here quite a bit. And let's see, we're up to 2.05% over at Salem 5 Direct. And very quickly, I can compare different savings accounts against each other. Now, if I walked into a bank and just said, what do you have? I can't comparison shop. Well, if I had to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money, I can. And not just, by the way, seeing that Salem 5 Direct's at 2.05, Pierpoint Financial at 1.9, Poplar Direct at 1.85, SEGI Direct Savings Account 1.81, Mutual One Bank 1.81, Marcus by Goldman Sachs at 1.8, Sally May at 1.75, Ally 1.75, American Express 1.75, Discover 1.75. You see that very quickly. Looked at tons of different banks, and I can also see how much money I saved. I can look at the fine print score. It's all right there, including user reviews and the different products that are offered. And I can do the same thing, whether it's balanced transfer cards, cashback rewards, 0% interest rate cards, auto loans, small business loans, private student loans, CD rates, checking accounts. It's all there. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. That's the number one place for you to compare, ditch, switch, and save. Normally on Fridays, we have this on-running game. And Paula, since you're the only person who's here every week, who's here this week, I think we're not going to do that. Obviously, if we've got to name a person, we're not going to do that this week. So instead, I think we will go in reverse order of who's been on the most and uh, let you guess who it is. So uh, Jen, Bill Gates' roommate in college, who was it? I have no clue. I don't know. Steve Jobs? People are going to vilify me for saying that. I, That's... What if it was somebody you've never heard of? What if it's like Bill Johnson? It's <laughs> definitely going to be somebody I've never heard of. hundred uh, percent. Maybe not. Who knows? I mean, why ask the question if you've never heard of him? R Roger, how about you? Bill Gates roommate in college. I was going to be funny and say it was Pee Wee Herman, but I think it was, I remember reading an article where his, one of his college buddies was his broker and he sold like a million shares a year and the guy made his whole life off of selling a million shares a year. So I'm going to say it's his buddy from college that is now a stockbroker. Paula, you've got the last guess. Okay. So I feel like his college roommate would be the number two guy in his company. And I'm trying to remember, okay, I feel like the last name would either be Allen, A-L-L-E-N or Balmer, B-A-L-L-M-E-R. 
think one of those two. I feel like one of those two. Like, okay, so because in Apple, Steve Jobs had Steve Wozniak. And in Microsoft, Bill Gates had a, an Allen or a Bomber, maybe? One of, I mean, you know. It was Allen, I believe. What is it? Allen? Yeah, that was the last name. I can't remember the first. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So I'm going to go with somebody with the last name of Allen, A-L-L-E-N. All right, so Jen, Jen's got Steve Jobs. Roger's locked in on his broker. Paula, Paula, you've, you've got uh, some guy with the last name of Alan. Let's, uh, let's, Doug, who is it? Welcome back, Money Nerds. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And to pay respect to all you system administrators out there for your big holiday, I'm going to share the answer to today's computer-related trivia question. You're welcome. Hey, who was Bill Gates' roommate in college? The answer? If you said it was the guy who was the CEO of Microsoft from January 2000 to February 2014, you've just made system administrators everywhere very proud. If you said his name was Steve Ballmer, I'd tell you that there are probably tears in the eyes of system administrators everywhere. Congratulations, smarty pants. See ya. Either an Allen or a bomber. Ah. <laughs> he was CEO. And then for I went with Allen. And that's the deal. You, know? you were led astray. Yes. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> right. Uh, Roger, you owe me a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Done. <laughs> Roger's already buying a second shirt now. <laughs> How can you talk her out of it, Whitney? What were you thinking? I was just asking, confirming that Alan was the other guy. Uh, right. I can hear the beep, beep, beep as you back away from that one. <laughs> oh, 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 guys. Looks like someone needs help. All three of those O's are sponsored by Bloom, Smart Simple 401k Management. Well, uh, Jen, do you remember way back like half a year ago making New Year's resolutions? Oh, what? <laughs> how resolutions? Many, yeah. How many, what? Th- how many of those are around? Um, I plead the fifth. Yeah. February even hits and you can't spell New Year's resolution. Well, this year is different, even though we're in the middle of the year. Make a resolution to get your retirement on track and fix your 401k with Bloom. That's Bloom with three O's. Sound tough? It's not. In fact, it takes only five minutes. Bloom's pricing is $10 a month, regardless of account size. Bloom researches, invests, manages, monitors, and grows your 401k while you relax. And with Bloom's free analysis, you can see the impact they can make on your 401k before you even pay. Bloom is one of the fastest growing robo-advisors fighting for your right to retire. I can't, see, I can't say that without going, you've got to fight for your right to retire. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Yeah. People are singing that in the halls, I'm sure, every day. Mm. Yes. Bloom is so simple. In fact, the hardest part's remembering there's three O's in Bloom. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Jen. Bloom. And enter promo code? SB. You are awesome for your first <laughs> for your first month free and see the difference Bloom can make in your retirement. Well, guess what? Today, we've got a letter from the mailbag on the Bloom call for help. So here's the letter. Hey, gang. Question for you to ask Doug, because he's clearly the brains in this operation. I've been looking into swell investing for some time. And for those of you that don't know about swell investing, we had the founders on our Friday FinTech segment a few weeks ago. They are an impact investing company, so socially responsible investing with swell. 
and listen to them when they were on the show. They have an annual cost of 0.75%, which seems kind of high compared to Betterment or just invested my 401k. Does the personal preference of investing in an impact investment make sense when trying to save for retirement? And I think that's a good question. Uh, Jen, if you're trying to be socially responsible, 0.75 fee versus maybe a smaller fee for a Betterment? Yeah, I think it's whatever helps you sleep at night. I mean, if the idea of investing in certain companies makes you uneasy, then I think it's definitely worth the 0.75. Paula, what do you think? Um, I've got something of a nuanced answer because while I support investing in accordance with your values, my first question would be, are the companies that are represented by these impact investing funds truly in alignment with your values? Because quote unquote ethical could mean any number of things to any number of people. Does it mean only environmentally friendly companies? Does it represent tobacco companies? Does it represent gun control companies? How do you feel about companies that sell alcohol? Yes or no? Just because something says that it is social or ethical, that doesn't necessarily mean that it will reflect your values. So that's actually the first question I would start with. Yeah. What type of impact are they going to have? Which is why I wanted to have Dave Fanger on from Swell. And they have several different options. So you can choose your, I mean, pick what impact investing means to you, because to your point, it can mean a lot of different things. Yeah, exactly. So if you do find something that represents your values, then I'd say there are two considerations that you should make. Option in no particular order, option A would be that impact investing fund or that socially responsible investing fund. Option B would be a potentially higher return that you may get in a traditional total stock market index fund. And then taking that difference and giving that difference to charity, all right? Which of those two would you rather do? Let, and and it doesn't matter what your answer is. The important thing is to just consider the question. Does it bother you, though, that by investing the money in a non-impact strategy way, that mm -hmm. you're rewarding companies that might be doing the things that you dislike? Well, e I think Even that, if you do option two. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, the companies that are doing things that I dislike, the most effective way to create change would not, as an individual investor, would not be for me to not invest in a total stock market index fund. They're never going to see the impact of that. But if I give money to a charity that supports a particular cause that could do some effective good, I see that as potentially having a much higher impact. So really the question that I would ask is not how do I minimize my harm, but how do I maximize my good? So not how do I minimize my footprint, but really how do I maximize my footprint? Which is interesting because that's with impact investing. That's, you know, when I was a financial planner, impact investing didn't exist. It was social responsible. Roger, you remember these days, it was socially responsible investing, which is kind of like a negative, right? It's these things that are nice, but it's not a specific target. So to your point, Paula, they're kind of going that way now, but I see, I mean, you could be laser focused on the thing that you really like, the good that you want to do. Roger, when you see this with clients, what do you think? 0.75? No. I mean, I mean, whatever floats your boat, if you want to pay 0.75, that's a lot of drag on any kind of performance that you're going to get. And there is no evidence that they're going to perform near as well as a total market index or pick whatever you want. So you just, whatever floats your boat, though, if you want to, go ahead. I think that's, in, I mean, in fairness to you, that's the thing I've always said to impact people that have come on. They're like, listen, I've seen all the studies and it's been different the last several years, Roger. I don't know if you've seen any of the most recent studies. Impact investing versus other types of investing. I mean, the study is clear that the stuff that a lot of financial advisors talk about where the returns aren't there, 
largely outdated. I don't think there's a lot of data. I don't think there's enough data. I mean, you can have a great 10-year track record, and that could totally just be random. But it's, I don't think there's enough data to say it's worth an extra 75 basis points, personally. Hmm. But uh, we're going to feel differently on this one. I mean, my takeaway is if 0.75 is the difference between you retiring and not retiring, and it's what you really want to do, if 0.75, I just think it's it's not the most important dragon. I think it comes down more to what Jen, you and Paula are saying, which is, you know, how do you feel about your investment strategy? And if you can't retire because you spent the 0.75 being the type of investor you want to be, like I've never seen that before. It just, I don't know. Um, yeah. Yeah. You have said that on my podcast before where you've, you've been like, I've never met a 65 year old who's like, man, I could retire if it weren't for that. Right. That's never the problem. It's because I didn't save. It's because mm-hmm. I spent money mindlessly. It's because I did all this crap. I got credit card debt. It, there's all these reasons ahead of it. It's not that fees aren't important. Fees are pretty important. But but for me, the 0.75, plus the thing, and by the way, I'm not here to defend Swell. I have no relationship with Swell. Swell charges the 0.75, but you're buying individual positions, which means there's no other fees besides the 0.75. In a fund like a Betterment, as an example, where you're buying an exchange-traded fund, you have internal fees first on those. Now, those ETF fees are not high, by the way. But you also have fees inside the investment itself plus the fee additionally. So just make sure you're doing an apple-to-apple comparison when you're comparing something like a Betterment to something like a Swell. So, Roger, you're not. Do you have something to, <laughs> something to add? No, I'm listening. Oh, I'm just I not. I <laughs> That's how you had something to add. You're like, yep, yep. Bring me in, coach. <laughs> I'm curious, do any of you use impact investing strategies in your portfolio? I haven't. No, I do not. No. No, no. Yeah, yeah. I haven't. I haven't either. I find it very interesting, which is why we talk about it on the on the show. And I think that that world is changing quite a bit. It's way different than when I was a financial planner. Uh, thanks for the question, Tyler. If you've got a question for the show, head to stackybenjamins.com. And on the top of the page, you'll see questions, click that link and uh, it'll show you all the ways you can correspond with us, including the Bloom Call for Help. Guys, it's going to do it today. So let's start with Paula. Paula, what the heck's going on at that crazy Afford Anything podcast and blog? On the Afford Anything podcast, we have an interview with Stephen Wendell, the head of behavioral research for Morningstar, which is an investment advisory firm. He talks about the gap between intention and action. We also have an episode with you, Joe, that you and I just recorded, in which we answer questions that come in from the audience, including we take a question from a 55-year-old with two million saved who want to know if they've got enough to retire. Uh, We answer questions from somebody who wants to transition from two incomes down to one. How do they make that transition? So we, we answer a whole bunch of questions like that. And then we have a bonus episode coming up at the beginning of August with Emma Patti. And so, Roger, that shirt that you got, the one that says Take Radical Responsibility, that was the theme of the last time Emma came on the Afford Anything podcast. She is coming back beginning of August. That was one of our most popular episodes, and she's back for an encore. You shouldn't have said that because that means Roger's going to wear that shirt every day. He's never going to take it off. He's going to refuse to shower because he loves the shirt so much now, Paula. Oh, well, awesome. I support that entirely. Well, as, lo- as <laughs> long as you're on the shortwave. And smell me. <laughs> oh, I'll send you a bottle of Febreze. It's all good. <laughs> I can see Roger's family taking him out twice a day to Febreze him. <laughs> Roger, thanks for hanging out with us again, man. It's been too long. Yeehaw, it has. I'm, I'm always here for you, buddy. What's happening at the Retirement Answer Man podcast? 
Well, we were just finishing up a month of maximizing Social Security. So my head's a little tired from all the legality of it. We are about to enter a smorgasbord of questions all next month on the Retirement Answer Man show. So I'm excited. That's awesome. And we'll link to the show on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Jen, I'm so glad you finally made it to the basement. But you hang out with us. You hang out in our Facebook group. I do. I'm more like a silent observer, but I thought I'd... uh work up the courage to come down to the basement. I don't know. I was so glad that you said yes. So thank you very Aww. much. What do you and Jill have going on at the Frugal Friends podcast? So we have some cool guests coming up. They've all paid off over six figures. Well, at six figures of debt. That's crazy. And uh, really excited for our episode about decorating your house for almost free, uh, because I actually learned a lot from that one. <laughs> I I love your sponsors. I love, I listened to the last episode, Saving Money on Travel. I mean, you guys are have so much fun. It's got to be fun recording the episodes. It's so fun. We we feel bad for how fun how much fun we have, just the two of us, that we don't always bring on guests, but uh, we always have a good time when we do. Well, I'm glad you were a guest on this show. Thanks for hanging out, everybody. Thanks for everybody who's left us a review of this podcast. We appreciate it. Mom hangs those on the fridge, as always. Doug, take it from here, man. What should we have learned today? Sure thing, Joe. I'm going to let you get back to trying to reboot your hair dryer, and I'll tell everybody what they should have learned today. First, take some advice that maybe your problems with money aren't from an external influence. Perhaps it's the way you're treating your financial situation. Don't blame external forces. Focus inward on how you handle your money. Second, Worried about how you and your spouse or significant other handle money together? While using apps like Zeta can be a big help, remember, it's all about communication. Anything that helps you have open and honest money conversations is a step in the right direction. But the big lesson? Before you joke with Joe's mom about how silly system administrator day is, know who controls the Wi-Fi settings. She, it turns out, is the ultimate system administrator. Uh, can I just get the new password, please? I think it's been long enough. Special thanks to Jen Smith for joining us today. You'll find her at the Frugal Friends Podcast, wherever you're listening to Stacking Benjamins. Thanks also to Roger Whitney for joining us. You'll find the Retirement Answer Man Podcast everywhere. Paula Pant appears courtesy of AffordAnything.com. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I do not like computer jokes. Not one bit. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Finally, thanks to Joe's mom for forgiving my system administrator jokes. Who knew she'd make the new Wi-Fi password? Doug's a f***ing idiot in all caps. Oh, lady, that's a little harsh.
Welcome to the after show. Jen, this is the part of the show that uh, doesn't exist. We don't talk about the after show. I don't know if you know the I rules. Never, I never talk about it. First rule of the after show, don't talk about the after show. <laughs> My lips are sealed. By the way, something about, about the after show. Well, mm-hmm. never mind. I shouldn't talk about that. Uh, oh, dear. <laughs> no, wait, does that happen in the after after show? I was going to ask Jen something about her show, but anyway, but I won't do that. <laughs> uh, so I asked you guys a question as we were prepping for today, which is we were talking about- we prepped for today? <laughs> it's not tell. Turning over a new leaf, Paula, leave me alone. <laughs> uh, I thought we'd talk about, you know, we talked a lot today. We shared a lot about our- money hangups, but all of us have seen some pretty wacko money hangups that people, you know, maybe have. And I was curious if maybe you could share some of those stories. So Jen, you're the guest, got a wacko money hangup you've seen a friend or relative or non-friend have? Yeah. So I saw this in a Facebook group and it was the basement, uh, but it was a it was a big group of people trying to pay off debt. And uh, this girl was asking for recommendations on like where to cut her budget. And so she posted her budget line items and she'd pared down really well. Like she was spending 280 per month on food. And then as I scrolled down, I saw that she was spending three hundred dollars on cigarettes every month. <laughs> So there were like 200 comments on this post that just said, stop smoking. Oh my. And what'd she say? Did she answer? Um, I couldn't, there were too many comments, but it reminded me of a meme. Um, is, have you ever heard of a spend less on candles? It's from Twitter. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So I pulled it up. It's this guy. He gives his like budget. He says food, 200, Data, 150. Rent, 800. Candles, 3,600. <laughs> and then it says, someone who is good at the economy, please help me. Uh, my family is dying. <laughs> and the guy, some guy responds and he just says, spend less on candles. <laughs> Hashtag shock. Uh, maybe $100 less on candles or $50 maybe, less on candles. That's pushing it. Yeah. Roger? Maybe he doesn't have electricity. Right. But he, I mean, he spends money on utilities too. That's in the list. So <laughs> what was the one recently on Twitter? The spend less on avocado toast. That's what that reminded me of, right? If we just eat less avocado oh. toast, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That was a comment from some guy who basically said millennials would be fine if they just stopped buying $19 avocado toast. And it was totally some flippant comment. Yeah. It was a flippant remark that then just blew up on the internet. It was so funny. We still talk about avocado toast. A friend of ours, like last weekend at breakfast, ordered avocado toast. I'm like, that's going to break the bank. You're done. She had no idea what the hell I was talking about because apparently she's not as cool as us and hang out all damn day on Twitter, which drives me crazy. I, I never spend more than $12 on my avocado toast. That's good. That's good. You said you, you have a line. It's a hard. I do. I have a limit. Yeah. 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 It's good. You have to. Roger. Oh man, this is hard to choose. Probably the most egregious money relationship with money that I've seen is I inter- I interacted with this gentleman in the 1999-2000 range, co-founder of a telecom company that was bought by LDDS, who was bought by somebody else. But anyway, at the time that I interacted with him, he was a near billionaire and he had this huge position in this stock and we were doing a structured note to create some liquidity while not selling the stock because he needed to pay his taxes. So this guy is worth almost a billion dollars, didn't have money to pay his taxes. And over the course of eight years, I saw him basically lose 
everything. He was never an actual mm-hmm. client, but he lost almost all of it. Oh. How did he From lose building it? resorts. Just because of his relationship with money is if you don't have a good relationship, it doesn't matter how much you have. You're, you're never going to be happy and it's never going to uh, end. And he's literally, he's not dead, bro, but he's pretty broke. Was it bad investments or was it too much spending? Uh, bad investments and too much spending. He built a, you know, he built this huge resort out in the middle of nowhere, thinking all these rich people would come with their strips and had this golf course with a hole that you could hit over the Rio Grande. I mean, it was just way overspending, bad investments. It's that old MC Hammer thing. He had this huge endowment that he did to a university, couldn't fulfill it, fulfill it uh, eventually. And he just never had a good relationship with money. And it, you know, what a heck of a ride. And I bet you he was miserable the whole time. Paula, how about you? Ooh. Um, hmm. So I have a friend who is, I mentioned her on the podcast recently. She's a hairdresser and she's constantly broke. So she came, I told the story where she came to my apartment and she did not have enough money to pay for the prepaid phone or her prepaid cell phone. She didn't have enough money to reload any minutes on it. Oh, that's right. So she showed up to my apartment um, and was like, hey, I I am having this problem. And I was like, well, how much do you need? And she was like, well, I I need $50, but I I already have 25 of it. So I just need the other 25. And first of all, for for a, she herself is 25 years old. So for a 25-year-old to be in that kind of a position um, is tough enough, right? So I gave her 25, like, uh, let her cut my hair, so I made sure it was earned income. But I, I was like, all right, cool. For twenty five dollars, I've got some split ends. Trim my hair. Here's twenty five bucks, um, so that that way it wasn't a handout. But the thing that I've noticed about her is that when she gets an opportunity to make money, you know, if she gets a, a client who wants to pay her to dye their hair or to put in highlights or something like that, if she has a hundred dollars, she will turn it down because she's like, well, I already have a hundred bucks. And oh, man. so that's that's the worst relationship with money that I've ever seen. It's a good one. Because she doesn't think any further than her next, literally her next meal, her next couple of days. She will turn down work saying, I've already got enough when she, when she has a total net worth of maybe $75. Wow. That's a good one. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to tell a story about my friend in college, Lisa, who uh, used credit cards to pay off her other credit cards. She'd take a, a, a an advance on one credit card, a cash advance, which those are those are really cheap. I don't know if you guys know that. Uh, no interest on that <laughs> cash advance at all. And uh, she would use that to pay off her other cards. And it was this big Ponzi scheme, and she was always sweating that her dad was going to find out. But when I when I lo- last lost track of her, she is in college and has over fifty thousand dollars of credit card debt, and it's just growing faster and faster. And she's not worried about the credit card debt at all. She's worried about that her dad's going to find it. Like it's her credit card debt. She's not worried about paying it off. She's worried her dad's going to be disappointed. It just, that's a weird relationship with money. But that's, that, that was not as funny. Jen's story reminded me of one that was very similar to that. When I was a financial planner, everybody is always like, well, uh, like how do our expenses compare to everybody else's? And we've always seen stuff that beats your story. Like if you're worried about that, when you meet with a financial planner, we've seen your story 500 times, except this one. This is one I saw once. <laughs> 
this this is this one took everything. So these people are worried about their budget and they fill out their budget tracking sheet. And I just wouldn't have done this. So they fill out their whole budget tracking sheet and I have them do line by line, which we didn't do all the time. But if somebody specifically wanted to talk about their budget and finding ways to save money, we get really granular on that. And uh, I'm going through the lines. Okay. Uh, uh, cable, 70 bucks. Maybe we can cut that. Maybe trim it a little bit. Okay. Groceries, Jen, like you were talking about, two hundred bucks. Okay, maybe we can talk through that. That's fine. Entertainment, eight hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> and then they have the next line going out to movies, nightclubs, two hundred dollars. And then they have another line, like is there in some bowling league, like forty five dollars. I'm like, well, you've got movies, nightclubs, and bowling, but under entertainment, you've got eight hundred and fifty dollars. Where like, do you have the time? <laughs> Well, I'm just thinking, yeah, so what's this $850? And and Walt looks at Teresa and says, I told you we shouldn't have put that in there. And and now, by the way, before that, I didn't care. But when one spouse turns to the other one and goes, I told you we shouldn't have put it in there. Like my, I'm like, oh, now I'm listening. I am totally in this meeting now. Because before, I didn't, now I really want to know, what is this? <laughs> and, and, and Teresa goes, well, he said to put in everything. And Walt's like, yeah, but you didn't want to put that in there. And she goes, well, but we were supposed to. And I'm like, okay. No judgment. Of course, I'm talking about it, what, 15 years later on a podcast, so no judgment. <laughs> and they both look straight down at the floor, and they say in unison, it's pot. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know a lot about pot, but I'm like, that's a lot of pot. But like, also, how can you do all those other things <laughs> right. and pot? Right. You're, right. They're probably you're high people. when yeah. they're doing all of that other stuff. Your, like, bo- your, your bowling I- average must be seven. <laughs> <laughs> but your Cheeto bill is through the roof. Right. You'd think they'd have a higher grocery bill. <laughs> Becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union can help you earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you could start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Considering a big home improvement project, maybe you want to consolidate debt. Well, if you're thinking consolidation, that's part of your plan. You could borrow up to 100% of your home's equity with a fixed rate home equity loan with zero closing cost or easily borrow as you go with a home equity line of credit. What I like, you make your plan first and then you use the appropriate instrument to get you there and Navy Federal has them. Both options could help make life's big expenses seem more manageable. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org at Navy Federal. Our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA. Equal housing lender. Membership required. Terms and conditions apply. Loan subject to approval.